So one of the things that I'm trying to accomplish in these uh, in these Magnonim Shir every morning is to help help you from the from the the, the Gomorrah itself, from the Daf of Gomorrah, to to develop a Torah Dika Hashkofe, uh, a worldview that is that is sound and based in Torah. And it's surprising how difficult that is, and how many people don't have it. Uh, even people who are learning and keep Torah mitzvahs, um, it's not necessarily taken for granted that one has built built up over one's life an integrated Torah Dika Hashkofe, a way of looking at the world that is sound, that is based on Torah, that you look at the world through a lens of the Torah. And one of the areas where this is important is in our attitude towards uh, the, the Halachot de Rabbonin, where the rabbis, where the Rabbonin have, have legislated, have instituted, have instituted certain, uh, certain principles, halachas, and a fortune of halacha is mid Rabbonin, is that our approach to the, to the Rabbonin is a, a Torah one, that, it, that is a correct one. Um, and w- one of, the, the, one of yeah. the important principles that I've always used in understanding a Rabbonin and we'll see how, how this works out in, this, in today's Gomorrah, is that when to keep a law of the Torah, you would have to act in a way that is unnatural. The Rabbonin in, introduce legislation, they introduce a Gezerah that helps you avoid that unnatural circumstance. So for example... So the laws of Yichud. So a man is not allowed to be alone with a woman even just for a, few, for a few minutes. What is it? Is the Torah worried that a person can't control himself for a few minutes? That's not what it's all about. But the Torah doesn't want, the Rabbonans say, the Torah's intention is not to put you into a situation where you have to control natu- natural impulses. The Torah would want you to be free to use your natural impulses. So how do you do that? So you make sure you're not in a situation where you would ever have to do that, use that control. The only woman you're alone with is your own wife. And then you don't have that, that thing. It allows you to act naturally. It's not that it's afraid you won't be able to act naturally. The Torah doesn't want you to act unnaturally. You have to act supernaturally, but not unnaturally. There's a difference between being supernatural and being unnatural. And the Torah doesn't want you to be unnatural. You're sitting on Shabbos and you're fiddling with your pencil and your mind is racing and you're thinking of things and you're learning. It would be unnatural not to write something down. So the Torah says, so don't have a pencil in your hand. Better not to have a pen in your hand. Then you don't have to control a natural urge and act in a way that is unnatural. And most of the Rabbonans, many of the Rabbonans, you can understand in that way. In which case that would mean that what the Rabbonin are saying is it wasn't the Torah's intention that in those circumstances you should, that should be the situation. Now the Rabbonin can go very far, even to the point where they don't allow you to do something which the Torah says you must do. And that we have in our Gemara, the bottom of Mimbezim with Bez and the top of Gimelam Aleph, where we've got the din that you can't use a lulav on an esrog on Shabbos uh, when, when Sukkot falls on, on Shabbos. Amai says the Gemara, why? Tiltul ba'almahu? Velidchi Shabbos. It's just mukta. It's a drabonin. So here you, you get an insight into how seriously the, the Torah, the Gemara, takes the halachas drabonin. It's because the Torah says, oh, it's just a drabonin. That's the kind of thing you could hear here in Ranana, somebody saying, right? It's just a drabonin. That, when you hear that word, it's just a drabonin, you know that there's a danger light phrase. That's a non teradik ashkofe, as we're going to see. But the Gemara shows you what happens when you think, oh, it's just a drabonin, so what? Because, it's, because of this drabonin, are you not going to do a mitzvah do'araisa? 
That doesn't make sense. We're afraid that the person's going to want to learn how to do the Lulav and Esrik properly, and he'll walk across the street and go to, the, to a Talmud Chochem who's across the street and knows how to shake a Lulav and Esrik and want to learn from him. Really? So for that reason, that, that somebody might do that, we're forbidding the entire Klal Yisro to, to use Lulav and Esrik on Shabbos? for the rest of eternity, for every year, because one person might cross the street. So the way we understand it is, it would be perfectly natural. We learned about Tirda the Mitzvah yesterday. It would be perfectly natural for somebody who's engrossed in the Mitzvah to want to get better at it and to walk across the street to go to a, to go to a Chochom. And we don't want you to have to restrict that, that naturalness. Behind the time of the Shofar, behind the time of the Megillah. It's the reason we don't blow Shofar on Shabbos. It's the reason we don't do Megillah. Shofar and Lulav on Mitzvah Storaisa. Um, even outside the base Amikdash isn't, but these are the the Chachomim are willing to say forego the mitzvah doraisa. That's not, so you've got. It's not that the Chachomim are saying don't worry about the mitzvah doraisa. What the Chachomim are saying, the Torah didn't design for this situation. So when the Torah says bring a little of an esrog, it's not in a situation where you might have to quell your natural urge to learn how to do it well. And, and go and, and, and cross the street and, or, and go to a chochum to learn how to blow the shofar or to shake the lulav in Esrik. And we see that from the Gemara in, in, in Brochus on Daf Yudalif, where we had the, uh, they, they came and they found the Rabbi Yochanan and Achuronis that was sitting in a sukkah, where, that, where he was sitting in the sukkah. Most of his body was in the sukkah, but his table was in the house. And we've learned that the halacha over there, like Beit Shammai, is that you're not allowed to sit in a sukkah where the table is in the house because we're afraid you'll lean forward and you'll eat from the table and you won't be in the sukkah again. What do we worry? Yeah, it, would be, it would be normal to do that. That would be a natural thing to do. And the Chachomim don't want you to have to hold yourself back from something that is natural in order to keep the mitzvah. So we say, you're not allowed to sit in such a sukkah. And he was sitting in the sukkah and the Gemara says, they said to him, if that's the kind of sukkah you've been using, you weren't mekayim mitzvah sukkah. It's not that, oh my goodness, I, didn't be, I wasn't Mekayim the Drabonan, I didn't do the rabbi's law, but, but still, Midoraisa was sitting in the sukkah. No, says, says the Gemara, that's not a mitzvah sukkah at all. And Tosva says in Amasechta on Dav Gimel, Dafilu Midoraisa Luki. On the lowest level, even Midoraisa, you weren't Mekayim. If you don't keep the law the way the rabbis designed it, we talked yesterday about how meticulously designed what a precision instrument a mitzvah is. Included in the precision of the instrument is the, the, is the design of the Rabbonin. And, and if, you, if you're Mekayim the mitzvah without the design of the Rabbonin, it's no mitzvah at all. It's not even a mitzvah Doraisa, says Tosfus. And, and we see this in the Achronim as well. I've just, just brought a little bit of it for you. We've got the Prima Godim. I've spoken to you about the Prima Godim before. Rabbi Yosef Rebmeir Tumim, uh, 18th century, who was, um, he was a Melamed. He was a, he was a teacher but of, of children for a long time. Later on became a Rov in, in Germany. But his big work was the Prima Godim on the Shulchan Aruch, on the Chaim in Yerodei. And he says... Um, in the case of the sukkah also, in Atari, you're not yotze. If you can do the mitzvah correctly and you don't, according to the Rabbonin, and therefore you're over, you're foregoing the mitzvahs of, of Chazal. The Shari Tshuva says in the third section of Shari, of Shari Tshuva, Rabbi Yonah says, in some ways being over a Rabbonin is worse than a Doraisa. 
When it comes to Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, you're doing tshuva. You need more serious tshuva for disobeying the Rabbonim than disobeying a Doraisa. And he gives various reasons for that. And so therefore, any time that you could have done it right and you didn't, you were over on Divrei Chazal. So if on the first day you did the this mitzvah sukkah the wrong way according to the Rabbonin, then the second day you've got to make him a shechianu again. You've ne- you haven't been mekayim the mitzvah of, of sukkah. And so the same would apply with the lulav. If you used the lulav on Shabbos, it was sukkahs, it was Shabbos. My mistake, you, you did lulav in Esau, you said the brochas. Now do you have to say shechianu the next day? Were you a Mekayim, the mitzvah d'oraisa, just you did an Easter d'rabonah, for which you need to do tshuva? No, says the prima godim, no, no shechianu the next day, because you weren't Mekayim anything. The Dvar Avrom is the, uh, the, the Rov of Kovna um, just before the war. <coughs> a really important halachic thinker that, that we have. <coughs> and, and he talks about the fact that if you only sukkah you have is a sukkah that's too small, midrabonin. Midoraisa, it's a good sukkah. But midrabonin, that's too small. So what do you say? Okay, so at least I'll be Mekayim the mitzvah doraisa. No, he says, if you do, even if you can't do it any other way. Meaning you won't keep mitzvah sukkah that year because the only sukkah you've got is too small, midrabonin. It seems that Chazal is saying, don't sit in that sukkah. And it's better that you don't sit in the sukkah at all. That you should sit and your table is in the house and you're on the outside the way the Chachomim said you, su- you shouldn't sit. And then there's a machlikis Avnei Nezer and Shuchon and Bir Agrod. Did the Chachomim totally uproot the, the mitzvah d'oraisa or did they modify the mitzvah d'oraisa which we don't have time to, to go into. But there's a beautiful... I, I found quoted, when I curate for you, there are two bases on which to curate. The one is that I'm bringing you the, the, the sources that are part of the canon of Litvisha thinking. So here we've got an Avne Nezer, and we've got a Bira Gron, we've got a Dvar Avron. These are pillars of Alachic thinking and Lithuanian reasoning, and we need to learn them, and we need to understand them. But sometimes I, I curate something for you in the case of the Tzitzah Kodesh, I which I don't know the Tzitzah Kodesh. It's the first time I've come across him. But what he says is so brilliant and so correct and true that it's clearly part of what we need to be learning. The Tzitzah Kodesh was a rov in Yerushalayim. He learned it, it was in Yerushalayim, 19th century. It's buried on Harazesim. He was the Rebbe of Rav Charlap. Rav Charlap's father was a Dayan on Rabbi Shua Leib Diskin's Bayezdin. Rabbi Shua Leib Diskin was rov in Brisk and then rov in Yerushalayim. Rav Chalap's father was a Dayan on that based in, and Rav Chalap himself was a Rosh Hashiva in Merkaz Harav, and he was, a Rosh, and he was the Rav of Shari Chesed in Yerushalayim. He was an important figure, Rav Chalap. And his Rebbe was Rabbi Hirsch Michal Shapira. One of the things Rabbi Hirsch Michal wrote was the Tzitzah Kodesh, which Rav Chalap published. I haven't seen it, but Rav, Rav Chalap published it. And he says something really important and beautiful. He says, understand how the Chachomim make their Gezeras. Understand the technique and the technology. So, and, and therefore, he says, you can't prove from sukkah to lulav. It's true that in the case of sukkah, if you sit in a sukkah which the Rabbonin say is too small, it's not a mitzvah at all, not even midoraisa. But if you shook a lulav on Shabbos, which you shouldn't have done mid Rabbonin, it could be that you were became the mitzvah deraisa. Why? He says what the Rabbonin do is they extrapolate, they treat it as if you did what they're worried that you shouldn't do. So for example, you're sitting in a sukkah that's too small in case you lean forward and eat from the table. So what the Rabbonin do is, says the Tzitzah Kodesh, is they say, okay, so let's assume you did do that. We'll treat everybody as if they did it. That, that's what we'll do. And so what happens if you did that? You're not Yotze. 
So, so we treat it as if you lent forward and ate from in the house, and that wouldn't be a mitzvah sukkah, so we treat it as this is no mitzvah sukkah. That's how the Rabbanon work. He says, now apply the same thing to the lulav on Shabbos. If we treat it, you did go across the street to learn from your Rebbe how to shake your lulav and esrik. So you, you walked for our Amos in Rishus Harabim, or you took it from Rishus Hayochim to Rishus Harabim. That's an Isidor a terrible thing. But what about the lulav and esrik? It doesn't damage the lulav and esrik, even if you did that. Your mitzvah's lulav and esrog still works. So it's, it's a beautiful understanding of how the Rabbonin work. They treat it as if you did the thing that they worried that you shouldn't do. In the case of sukkah, if you did the thing they worried you shouldn't do, that means that you ate in the, you put your stretch down forward in your body and you ate in the house, then you wouldn't be mekayim mitzvah sukkah. So let's treat anybody who eats in a sukkah that's too small as if they're not eating in the sukkah at all. That's what the Chachomim say. But in the case of Shabbos, that you're not allowed to use a lulav and esrog on Shabbos because you might carry it across the Shusarabim, let's treat it as if you did carry it across the Shusarabim. That's still not going to undo the mitzvah sukkah, says the Tzitzah Kodesh. Therefore, you can't extrapolate from mitzvah sukkah to mitzvah lulav and, uh, and esrog. In any way, you, you get a sense from here that the, the halachas de Rabbonin are integrated inextricably with the halachas d'oraisa, you can't separate them out. You can't say, I'm keeping the d'oraisa, but not the d'rabonans. I made a mistake with the d'rabonans, but at least I was mekayim the d'oraisa. There's some cases when that will work, like the lulav and esrog on Shabbos, and there's some cases where that won't work, like sukkah that's, that's too small. The, you, one has to understand what the d'rabonans are doing, and this idea that the d'rabonans legislate so that we shouldn't have to hold ourselves back in unnatural ways. Rather, don't put yourself in the situation in the first place where you'll have to act unnaturally. Uh, and, and the Chachomim protect us from having to act unnaturally with all the gazeras that they do. And therefore, when every time we learn the Darabon, and if you learn a Darabon in that way, you begin to understand the brilliance and importance of the Darabon and, um, and, and the psychology of the Darabon. And most importantly of all, then, we begin to understand the seriousness of the Darabon and our approach to the Darabon. And how to be offended when anybody says, it's just a drabonin. If you ever hear those words again, it's just a drabonin, put your hand on the table and stop them. What do you mean, just a drabonin? That's an integrated part. It's like somebody who's working in a nuclear reactor and he's about to unscrew something. He says, it's just a screw. It's not just a screw. It blows up the reactor. That's what a mitzvah drabonin is. It's not just a mitzvah drabonin. It's an integral part of the whole system of Torah. And if one ignores a little drabonin, you can blow up the whole system of Torah.